Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the movies, TV, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I'm your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me this week, as in every week, the rotten tomato that ruined your 100% fresh score, Arturo Zarita. And I like doing it, too. I'm that guy who comes into the theater with those extra tomatoes and just, just waits to throw them, because I'm not... The, the tomatoes at the concession center are too much. That's why theaters are dying. But yes, I am Art from the A to Z show. Glad to be with you, Zach. Glad we're making this a weekly thing. Yeah, this is fun. It's nice to get yeah. to chat every week about the movies and stuff. I mean, it's hot. Like, don't get me wrong. It is hot. For those of you who make videos, you know how hot it gets in a room when you got lights on, when you got... It's hot. That's all I got to say. You can't turn on an AC, too, because I don't have, like, a central cooling thing. I have, like, an air conditioner. Yeah, that, that thing's on. with the sound. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking yeah. advantage of all the natural light I can because I, I don't want those hot bulbs on me <laughs> for an hour. I may not survive in this heat. I know. But I'm going to drop weight. I'm going to drop weight while doing the intercut. <laughs> the intercut. The only show that allows you to drop some pounds while at it. But excited to be here. Thanks for joining me, as you always do. In a little bit, we'll talk about the issues with Rotten Tomatoes, as well as some developments with Steven Spielberg's latest movie and The Babadook's triumphant emergence at Pride Week. But first, Art, I know what you're watching. I'm watching it, too. I know too. what you're watching. Do you, do you want to just say it together? Should we just... Oh! Right. I don't know which one you're going to say first, but what I'm watching <laughs> is It Comes at Night and... Sports! Sports! <laughs> Um, Yo, yeah. I've been, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, movies are cool. Movies, movies are, are very cool. We love movies. I mean, movies is always, they're always number one. Yeah. We're married to movies. The TV's up there, too. TV, TV movies, no, movies TV. TV. Yeah, the TVs are like the children. Yeah, know? yeah. Like, like you, you, you love them just as much, yeah. if not more. Exactly. But you got this best friend who hangs around with you sometimes, <laughs> and your wife's telling you, like, hey, stop messing around with that person, because sometimes they take your time up, because it's games. not the best influence. It's not the best influence because, you know, your wife your wife sometimes just needs two hours. Two hours and a half. Games, they ask for two and a half hours. You know, they go to game four. They go to game five. They go to game six. I'm hoping to go to game seven because I want to hang out with my boys right now. Cavs versus <laughs> Golden State Warriors, I believe, is what you've been watching. Too. Yes. I know you've been watching some other stuff. But yes. Uh, yo, the trilogy. The We're talking movies. This is the, yeah. This yeah. is the third year that they've been facing off each other. It's automatically become a rivalry between mm -hmm. the three. Uh, and I, I, I admit, I was a little scared, which made me feel dumb mm -hmm. because what has sports? Not even sports. What has politics? Forget those. The Oscars, upsets, teams coming out yeah. of nowhere to we win. We live in the era of last-minute winners right now. <laughs> if he comes back. I'm buying his jersey. This yeah, is what right my now. And I, I always say. I mean, if LeBron can somehow like pull off this biggest comeback of all time, then yes. you have to give him so 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 much credit. I mean, it, it's just immensely watchable to to see the way he's powered this team yes. through. And and you know, Golden State's incredibly watchable too. Like as as yeah. much of these games have gone through one sided moments, it, it's just incredible to watch the dynamicism from both ends. And and. The the dramatic narratives all around it with yes. with uh you know the bringing in of Durant to this dynamic mm. and for Judas LeBron to be now LeBron to be a bigger underdog than he's ever been. I mean, it's how how is that a thing? <laughs> how is how the is it become best the, the Golden State Warrior? Yes, 
How is it that the Golden State Warriors, which are like the Yankees when they had all the money in the world to drop on players, that the Golden State Warriors, in movie terms, is like that blockbuster that's part of that cinematic universe that you know is going to please as many people as possible and you know is going to make their money. You know, it, it's going to be on top. And LeBron James has become that indie movie, that, mm -hmm. that indie director that we all know makes good movies. Right. And we're just trying to see them, you know. It's, it's like the get out that you're just, please make the 100 million, please cross it. He's, what? He's the fan favorite again. It's awesome. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, NBA is great. Anybody who's watching it knows that. Yeah. The NHL, which just ended its Stanley Cup playoffs mm -hmm. last night, was awesome. Uh, Penguins versus P.K. Subban and the Predators. It didn't end the way I wanted it to, but there's always something dramatic about playoff hockey, and yeah. it's a lot of fun to watch. And there's nothing better than seeing people lift the Stanley Cup. It is, you know, the best trophy in sports. I also watched uh, the recent U.S. men's soccer qualifiers. I'm a big soccer fan, and uh, they're actually playing well again, so it's good to enjoy watching the U.S. national team for a change. So it's, it's warm out. Lots of good sports to watch, although hockey's leaving us and basketball will unfortunately leave us, leave us soon, which means we have to yeah. focus our attention on the movies like It Comes at Night. You know, a lot of people are mad because... Um it never showed up. <laughs> I, it, Stuckman has a whole video he put out this morning of uh, really, yeah, the the problem with bad marketing and about that is true. No, that is true. It is bad marketing, and I'm, I'm a person who uh, I've been spending the week to just like listening to interviews and stuff like that. And I really like how the guy, it's a personal story. Yeah, so it this is, is personal story. from director Trey Edward Schultz, whose previous movie, Krisha, was a big indie hit. Uh, yeah. It's sort of like a blend of reality because it, it's about his aunt and it stars his aunt, but it is yeah. a drama. And a lot of people called it like a real-life horror because it, it just drive, derives so much tension out of these interpersonal family dynamics. It makes sense that he would graduate to a movie mm, like this that horror. is so horrific. Mm -hmm. When I say a horror, it's not really a horror. It's yeah. interesting because I think of uh, when Swiss Army Man came out and the dudes, the Daniels were like, we don't even like fart humor. We don't like any of that stuff. But the story that they wanted to tell, they told it in that type of wacky genre. Mm -hmm. He said the same thing. He doesn't like apocalypse, apocalyptic movies. But it was the genre that he thought of when he was envisioning his images and stuff like right. that. And he has said that it, it it's a very personal story of when his biological father uh, was on his deathbed. And, and he's talked about the themes in the movie, how the, uh, it's all about fear. The yeah. door represents that literal, literal doorway between what's on the outside, the unknown, and that yeah. the it is fear. Mm -hmm. It's those nightmares that the kid gets when he's at night. The kid who represents himself and... I went to go see the movie with a couple of friends who aren't necessarily the biggest film geeks. And in the theater, for whatever reason, on that Thursday night, it was filled with a, three groups of girls' night outs. Mm. I do not know why. Yeah, that's not very a girls' night out movie to me. And the or moment boys it night ended. Out for that matter. Yeah, it, and the moment that it ends, because it ends on that specific shot, right? Everyone knew before, everyone knew it was going to cut to black, and they all yelled out, Oh, no. And it cuts to black. And they were so mad. They wanted their money back and stuff like that. And I'm just there going like, give the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. What was he trying to say here? Because obviously it drew everyone because of that marketing. And hearing his interview, he says that he's very well aware that the marketing has a dog looking for something. That the 
first trailer definitely insinuates someone coming. That they overemphasize on scenes that are horrific in the trailer that are not even realistic. Mm -hmm. And he says, if it's going to get people in seats, I'm okay with 60% of the audience hating it if it finally gets to the 40, if it gets to the 40% that it needs to. I'm okay with people disliking it at first because I've disliked movies before. And then later on, I watch it again and I go, wow, it hit me because I really needed it at this point in time. So I think it's, once you get past the marketing and you see it for what it is, um, it's got some very interesting themes in it. Yeah, I think this comes down to a question. You know, I, I'm someone who does not like when people just say bad marketing. It's, to me, that's a too simplistic Bad take. marketing. <laughs> you know, that's, that's way, it's, it's way more interesting than that. You know, this is a tiny uh, personal horror movie mm-hmm. That had a budget of five million. It was it debuted at the Overlook Film Fest. This is a twenty-four that doesn't necessarily put out these big feet. I mean, people who've seen The Witch should know what they're getting in for in a movie like It Comes at Night. The The Witch has a similar type of not the very the, yeah, not much happens. As people, it, say. it's not a very satisfying viscerally ending. I thought it worked for the story, but it's not your conventional horror movie. There's a difference between what A24 puts out in a horror movie and what Blumhouse puts out in a horror movie. And this is not The Purge or Sinister or any of those types of movies. So, you know, when you talk about bad marketing, the movie made $6 million its opening weekend. It was in sixth place. Yeah, so is it bad marketing? What's the job of marketing? Getting it out there. So you're right. No, you're right. I think it's the phrasing of what people say. I think they mean manipulative marketing. Yes. And but at the same at the same way, like we, I, I feel like it is on us to be discerning audiences. All marketing is manipulative, especially now, especially True. in 2017. We've seen it for big budget movies, and we've seen it more so now for art house movies. Yeah. This is the way that they're getting a lot of people to these art house movies. Is it tricking people into making it seem like a more conventional type of film? I think there's something really interesting here, and it kind of bothers me how how. Um, the marketing is kind of taking away from a discussion of what's actually in this movie, in the movie which yeah, is yeah. a much more uh, internally focused movie. Uh, we, we, we sort of touched on, I guess, light spoilers, but I, not to get too heavy into spoilers. Yeah. Uh, it, the, the the idea here is much more about like what these people are bringing into the situation. Uh, it, wh- a leftovers type of thing. It's not so yes. much... How they got there, but what are they doing in that scenario? And I th- I heard someone compare this movie to The Road, which to me is a much better I've comparison yeah, than yeah. than any of the monster movies that it it sort of reminds people of, because it, it really is sort of an unglamorized look at what will happen to us when society breaks down, when when yes. the when the number one concern is how can family. I fend for my family and family and no first. One else. Yeah. What's going to happen? Can you actually, you know, I think we a lot of times have this romantic vision of locking ourselves in our bunkers and protecting our loved ones, but it's yeah. it's sad and it, it's, it's unsettling. And I think this movie really gets at just how uncomfortable and how devastating uh, in a post-apocalyptic scenario would be. So mm-hmm. if you're interested in the idea of society unraveling, I think this is the type of movie for you. If you're looking for, you know, the, the next It Follows, it's probably not going to satisfy that itch. Yeah. And, I, and he said that in one of the interviews and where he had mentioned that um, he sees it sort of like the thing. 
that was one of his biggest inspirations, one of his favorite movies, and where it wasn't so much about the thing, it was about what happened to the people. Yeah. And he had mentioned that he really realized that he, he loves the 70s type of horror movies where it's not so much about the creature or the monster, but the evil inside people and what they do. And again, I, I can see why people went in there in a girl's night out, in a guy's night out, they're expecting a certain type of movie to get scared, and then they don't get that. At the same time, I like what you brought up and where... I'm not going to call the movie clickbait, but It Comes at Night still works with what he was saying. We just took it as literal. He meant it as metaphorical. And he's pretty much said it. He said, people are still mad after watching the movie, but after you watch the movie, shouldn't you have gotten it? Yeah. That what is literally coming at night after every scene. That was my surprise watching the Stuckman video is how little he seemed to grasp that it was Mm -hmm. ultimately not about what's out there but what's in the house. He was like, it's just a movie about some people in a house. No, duh. Also, then he really got... Okay, yeah, so then there's a difference there. That's getting really upset (laughs) and making a video before you even make anything because I'm working on a video but I'm willing to wait. Yeah, yeah. Not to bash Stuckman or anything. I'll take his spot right... (laughs) I know I'm already making... But, yeah, it's that idea of... This is someone who created something, not just to, like, tick you off. This is someone who created something. And A24 gave him the ability to tell this very personal story. And I'd I'd wait to find out what it actually meant, which I'm... I, I This is one of those movies I saw it. I, I'm not... I agree with him. I, I came out of it a little disappointed. Yeah. Then I researched it. Then I understand what he was doing. Yo, do you know he changed aspect ratios in the movie? Uh, it's I, a whole yeah. other discussion. Stuckman noticed that, too. <laughs> when we start getting nerdy with that, and when we start seeing how when the aspect ratios start converging, one is nightmare, one is reality, and when nightmare becomes reality, like, I can't bash a movie that I didn't pick up on things on the first time around, yeah. because then that shows me that I gotta take a little more time on this movie, because there's something there. And there's some political aspects to it mm-hmm. that I really love, because they're not political for the sake of being political in this environment. It was legit just stuff that he reflected upon in history with genocide books that he was reading. Yeah. And it just so happened to fit now. And I'm like, that's what we're talking about. Like you were saying, do you defend for your family and ignore everything else? I what mean, about the xenophobia of what's beyond the door? I mean, look, there's a reason that they made Joel Edgerton's character a history teacher in the movie. That's this is fantastic. A guy who looks back. Uh, and look, I had some tweets on my personal Twitter, at Shevich, mm-hmm. talking about my reaction uh, to It Comes at Night and the idea of everything needing a payoff. Um, I do think that that lack of payoff does kind of hurt the experience of watching the movie, but I don't think that should negate the experience of the movie itself because there's some really interesting stuff to mill over. And the more I think about it, the more I'm enjoying it too. It, it is a yeah. movie that leaves you with a lot to think about. So that's something to, I think, really keep in mind before you mm-hmm. go into uh, It Comes at Night. But sure. overall, you'd say you did like it, right? Yeah, after I first saw it, the thing was, dude, I had a huge headache. I had very little sleep, and I was like, watch it. I was having nightmares. I was waking <laughs> yeah. up, whoa. Waking up to, like, the grab the scene that you see in the trailer of that, of, of the blood coming out. But, yeah, it's one of those movies that I saw, and I'm like, okay, it looks very pretty. I'm trying to stay awake for it. I'm was, I, I I'm aware of everything that happened in it. Obviously, it ends. Everyone's complaining. I'm like, mm, I want to complain with you guys, but I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And as I go home, and as I always do, I love listening to the interviews that he does. I, uh, I love seeing some behind-the-scenes stuff. I love seeing what the actors had to say and how they approached the scenes, how they were reflecting upon how this is the director and his father's relationship, mm-hmm. the idea of fear, the symbolism of the painting, the door. And most, uh, like you said, there are a bunch of movies where we don't get the ending we think we want, but that's because what we expect isn't necessarily what the movie was meant to be. 
totally. the movie has its ending. It just wasn't the ending we thought we wanted, but it was the ending that he wanted for his movie. And the one thing I will always say, my final point is that I do not care how cryptic a movie is, how ambiguous a movie is, as long as the director knows exactly what he's doing. And I have seen movies that tick me off because I'm like, baloney. No, this is not open to interpretation because your interpretation doesn't fit in what we saw on screen. It contradicts itself. According to him, he knows what started this virus. He knows how they got there. He knows what happened to the other family. He knows everyone else who they interacted with. He knows what happens after that final frame. And he knows how his entire world ends. And if he knows it and he left his little clues in there, I'm completely okay with it. Right. We move on to our first big segment of the day, yay or nay news, where we go over the latest happenings in the entertainment industry. And we start with the Black Panther trailer dropping online. Movie fans are buzzing in reaction to the release of the first Black Panther trailer, giving us a glimpse into Ryan Coogler's epic vision of Wakanda, a land watched over by Chadwick Boseman's Black Panther superhero art. I know your trailer policy demands that you avoid these clips yeah. at all costs. So uh, I'm just going to ask, are you yay or nay on the Black Panther movie in general at this point? Boy, don't ask me redundant questions like that. <laughs> Ryan Coogler? Chadwick Boseman? I'm sorry, who, who else got cast? Who has previously worked with my man two times? Uh, has Mr. Directed Michael him? B. Jordan? Mm. Heck yes, I'm all for this. I don't need to see a trailer. There are some movies that it's not just I don't want to get spoiled. It's legit. I'm already sold. Don't give me the advertisement when I'm walking into Best Buy because I already know what I'm going to buy. Chadwick Boseman was the best part in Civil War for me. He was the standout character. I went out about the... Remember we were saying LeBron wins? I'm going to go buy his jersey. Yeah. Black Panther was so good. I went and bought his t-shirt because... (laughs) This is a character that I've always been saying. You know one of my biggest thing about diversity. As a minority, myself, Hispanic, whatever. When I see diversity on screen, I don't want it to be token characters. I want it to be fantastically written characters. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman took a long time to get here. That's fine with me because we got this rendition. We didn't yeah. get some crappy version of it. Black Panther's taken a long time to get here. I am. I'll wait another. I'm not gonna say ten. I'll wait another year. <laughs> that's when it's coming out to get what I believe is going to be one of the best superhero movies of all time. I'm all in for this. Yeah. I, I love the fact that that this is this is a character that again, and he. This isn't just a black character. This is going to the roots of Africa, yeah. fictional Africa, yeah. Africa nonetheless. And again, I I I loved his character in Captain America: Civil War. And I love the fact that this is going to be a character like Wonder Woman where people can't just say, uh, who do we got? Black people. We got Shaft. <laughs> no! You have a great character. I know right. some people are, are a little iffy with the fact that he's Black Panther and not Panther, I guess. But as I, Logic would say, the greatest rapper of our generation, black and proud. <laughs> I'm all for it, though. I'm yeah, I'm, I'm big yay on uh, the Black Panther movie and all the new the clips. Uh, I decided to do sort of what you have suggested at some point, but watch a little and cut it off. I wasn't really feeling watching the whole thing because yeah. it is, you know, uh, gets into some of that typical, like, over-explaining of details you don't necessarily need. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you, I've just been all in from the start. I mean, Ryan Coogler hasn't made yeah. a movie I haven't liked yet. Uh, Chad McBoseman 
Michael B. Jordan, Lupita Nyong'o, Daniel Kaluuya from Get Out, uh, Forrest Whitaker, <laughs> whole, Sterling K. Brown, who was excellent on The People vs. O.J. Simpson. I mean, this is oh, yeah. a stacked cast. Stacked uh, uh, cast. Uh, uh, let's not forget Gollum. That's the one frame I saw. Yeah, uh, he's and in there. Andy Serkis. Um, and, 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 and both of them, because they, they said it was a Lord of the Rings reunion. Martin Freeman. Oh, you just saying the cast out loud again is insane. It, yeah, I mean, look, that when you have that much talent and you have a prop... I talked about this sort of when we talked about our Wonder Woman uh, review. You know, there's just a certain novelty sometimes mm-hmm. when you see things on screen. And, and the way that visiting... Uh, Themyscira was a bit novel just because like, oh shit, it's all these warrior ladies. There's, and there was no- color in a DC movie. Exactly. It, it's, it's, it, there's novel, there's going to be novelty to a lot yeah. of this movie that's, that's going to be not just novelty for the sake of it, but li- really refreshing and, and coming from a new voice. So I, I'm, I'm very excited for uh, more Black Panther news. Mm-hmm. Moving on to Steven Spielberg production on his latest glitzy drama began last week in New York, fast-tracked after both Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep joined the project about the Washington Post's exposing of the Pentagon Papers. The movie, which was recently retitled to just The Papers, already has (laughs) Hanks and Streep, filled out its cast this week with Alison Brie, Carrie Coon, David Cross, Pat Healy, Tracy Letts, Bob Odenkirk, Sarah Paulson, Ooh. Jesse Plemons, Matthew Rise, Michael Stolbard, Bradley Whitford, and Zach Woods. Art, two questions. Does this cast make you curious about the new Spielberg project, ERNA? And also, whose role are you most excited to see? I mean, they're decent. Spielberg's made a couple of good movies. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what Tom Hanks has made. Uh, Meryl Streep is, is all right. Carrie Coon! What were we just talking about? Yo, Carrie, Coon Carrie Coon's our girl. Carrie Coon and Michael Stahlberg, every every time he's in a movie, be it the smallest thing, be it if I don't like the entire movie, for whatever reason, he always stands out to me. Yeah. Like, that man always stands out to me. That dude has an amazing small part in Arrival. Uh, he's, I mean, yes, he I, I, I hate to always go back to a serious man, but, like, why not always go back to a serious mm-hmm. man? He's so good in that movie. Um, for me, the dude who jumps out is Zach Woods. Uh, just, just to make sure that I, he's from... Uh, Silicon Valley? He's the weird one, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for the expanding of Zach Wood's career because like I've yeah. he's been in a couple other things. He was in uh, Mascots. He was in Ghostbusters. Um, he was in Other People as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if he's going to be in a Spielberg movie, that's a whole other level. Yeah, I, I remember seeing him in The Office when he first came out, yep. and he was just so weird. And then he took that weirdness and made it better in Silicon Valley. Uh, I. I'm not gonna lie. He's my favorite character in Ghostbusters. I oh, thought yeah? What he did, yeah, what he did was funny. He was just like yelling because he was scared of what he was doing. <laughs> I didn't see I'm the movie. Glad he's in Spielberg. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, he's he's a really capable actor. I feel like he would totally work in this world, uh, especially just. I don't know. There's something about his look that I could see in in terms of either like a ghost. <laughs> yeah, either in terms of a pasty reporter or a pasty government yeah. official would totally be fine. He's a crack addict, <laughs> but a crack addict in a Spielberg movie. Ah, so, high yeah. class. Oh, oh so, I'm all for it. Yeah, yeah. That, that was obvious. So while half of Hollywood just booked the new Spielberg movie, yeah. Jennifer Connelly, one of my favorites from Requiem for a Dream, is making the jump to TV. 
uh, co-star in TNT's upcoming Snowpiercer reboot. She's the second actor cast to join uh, of the cast. Excuse me, I'll take that again. She's the second actor to join the cast following Hamilton's David Diggs, and her character is rumored to be a member of the train's upper class who becomes curious about the rest of the train. So, Art, yay or nay on Jennifer Connelly's casting in the Snowpiercer TV show? I'm a little iffy there only because uh, I like Snowpiercer. I, I do think it'll work great as a series. It's just it's on TNT, and I can't think of any TNT. The only thing I watch on TNT is the NBA on TNT. <laughs> That's it. And unless Charles Barkley is is on this train as well, I'm not sure if I'm going to find it as entertaining. So TNT has sort of been going under a little bit of a revamp. Uh, they started yes. with redoing that uh, New Zealand or Australian movie Animal Kingdom. Um, and I've been hearing good things. Yeah, I have a friend who's really into that show. I've been meaning to catch up with it. And then... Um, uh, recently, they take that took on that Rashida Jones project, Claws, that stars Niecy Nash, which okay. is like set in a nail salon that's doing some money laundering for a drug ring. Hey. Supposed so to be really good. good yeah, it All looks right. like they're trying to trying to push that like USA yeah. going into mostly a robot game. <laughs> they're dominant. Become legitimate. They're just rebuilding all their entire exactly their entire setup from the ground uh, up. Snowpiercer is a a story that I think definitely works as a miniseries again if it was on netflix if it was on hbo i'd be super hyped for it yeah i think Je- jennifer connelly's gorgeous yes she's very underrated how like she's drop dead gorgeous um and she's great she's in like, uh requiem for a dream and a beautiful mind oh she's really good at requiem for a dream. oh yeah <laughs> um but you said um david diggs, diggs. From, yeah from hamilton and David Diggs is also in this awesome project called Clipping, if you've ever seen their videos on YouTube. That's what I'm talking about! That's He has, there's this one song from Clipping that I listen to all the time, mm-hmm. just, and it's fantastic. What I'm saying Inside is, out. <laughs> if he's rapping, <laughs> the, then I'm definitely for it. But I, I just like that dude because he's mad yeah. talented. And Super talented dude. Also on the new season of Kimmy Schmidt, oddly, and is very funny on that. He's just popping okay. up all over the place. Uh, I, I'm like you, like... TNT seems like a weird fit yeah. for Snowpiercer, but like I, I want to reserve judgment until maybe I see it, especially because I like both these actors. So I'm, I'm yay on Jenner Connolly getting involved, but okay. uh, still skeptical on the show. Moving on, Futurama fans awoke to the unfortunate news that the show's earliest and best seasons will soon be disappearing from Netflix. On July 1st, the classic episodes will disappear from the se- streaming service, along with other Fox TV shows that have disappeared recently, including The X-Files and House, Ally McBeal, Firefly, my personal bedtime favorite, Bob's Burgers. Art, are you yay or nay on Netflix's continued inability to hold on to other studios' properties? Bob's Burgers is, is not on Netflix anymore? It's gone. It's gone, man. Hello, darkness. <laughs> I never finished it. Dang. I feel like I it's one of those things, uh, my buddies and I, we have this, like, meme chat, like, this is all this is, it's the most garbage chat in the world, <laughs> and every time they, they share a meme off of Instagram, if you don't watch it right away, that thing gets taken down, because some of these memes get flagged right away, Netflix is becoming that, if you don't watch these shows right away, they're gone, mm-hmm. and, well, that sucks, I didn't get to see it, I think it's on Hulu, though, I got Hulu, so, yeah, I think so, it should probably still be on Hulu, but yeah, I mean, we've talked about this before, Netflix is banking more on their original stuff, which I'm okay for. Can't always have your cake and eat it too. And in order to have all these incredible projects that they're funding, that, that you're going to have to let go 
of some rights that they can't just don't fit. They're not the Golden State Warriors. They can't have that stacked of a yeah. roster. So, There's not exactly a salary cap, but there is a budget. Yeah, there is a budget that they got to do, and they, they got to be careful with those rights. They're going to get Seinfeld, so um, I mean, it sucks. I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm nay on it, but what can you do about it? Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's hard to really... I guess I got to go nay, but, like, yeah. it, what, what do you do? Uh, Netflix is no longer the only player in streaming. When no. they first came along, they had... NBC shows and Fox shows and some CBS shows and shows yeah, from HBO Disney, and Showtime. Network. Yeah, it was crazy. Now all these different platforms have their own streaming services. It sucks that we're going to be living in a reality where uh, you probably are going to have to pay for between five to different ten or mm. more services if you want to catch up with all these different shows. Or you're picking and choosing. Like, I guess I'm just not watching the new seasons of Bob's Burgers unless I uh, watch it live on Fox. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe they'll find a way. I mean, Netflix is smart. They change the game. They're changing the game. They will change the game. But they have talked about how they are moving towards having more original programming. I think there was a quote that Reed Hastings, the CEO, said that they wanted 50% of their library to be original programming. That's clearly what they're going for, yeah. It, it's just, you know... Hopefully, they will continue to be putting out good shows because I'm a big fan of Netflix as a producer. It's just... Mm-hmm. I, I also was a fan of Netflix as an aggregator, and it's a shame yeah. that they're no longer that. It stinks, but, I mean, you have people like Hulu who do, like, add-ons, and Amazon does add-ons, mm-hmm. uh, who I think is, is more above in the TV game. And, I mean, think about it. You have things like uh, Showtime, Stars, and The King, HBO, that those those are already add-ons. Yeah. You, you can't just get that with something, you know? So I think with players like YouTube TV, or whatever it is that they're calling their thing, I think... Netflix is making the right choice. We may not see it now, but I think they're making the right choice in where they know they can't bring you in with a Bob's Burger because even if they had the rights, they can't stop somebody else from getting it. So what is Netflix doing differently, right? Uh, uh, yeah, and and look, I don't think we're we're too far from a world where Netflix tries to purchase one of these like channels that's not doing as well. Like, what if Netflix just went and purchased the CW? Could you be. know, yeah. I mean, they have a good thing with the CW. Riverdale was two weeks. How did that happen? They they that, got that, that deal, that, yeah, where CW shows crazy. go up almost immediately. That's insane. Mm-hmm. But that's cool. So, yeah, something like that. I can see them doing that where it's specifically for them. Um, other than that, though, I, I get why they're doing the Netflix thing. You want Netflix? Why would they rely on other shows? They're banking. They got, like, three new shows coming out every week. Yeah. You're surfing, and you're like, when did this come out? What was this? And then some of them, it's not just that it's... We were talking about it. There's a lot of quantity, but within there, there's some legit quality. I was, yeah. at, the, I was at the store today shopping for some gifts. Yo, they had a whole BoJack Horseman collection of uh, the, those... those Funko? Uh, yeah, the Funko Pops. I was like... I was ready to buy some until I remember yeah. I ain't gonna run. <laughs> I only got one Funko Pop. as this Batman one here, but I was, I was tempted to get one. And I think focusing on their stuff and seeing the splash they were making at cons, seeing who they're bringing in, I'd rather them focus on the Netflix original stuff because if it was mediocre for the most part, then it'd be like, eh, focus on something better. But they're doing a really good job, and if it means sacrificing Bob's Burgers, then toss it's it, definitely giving me incentive to actually go ahead and get that Hulu Plus subscription that I've been it's putting off it. for a while now. It's it's pretty worth it. it it's not that bad. Uh, moving on with Cars Three set to hit theaters this yes. weekend, Pixar is letting people get a glimpse of its other 2017 release, Coco. 
The film revealed a new trailer, and with it came the official news that this Mexican-inspired animated adventure will also feature an all-Latinx voice cast. Art, as our reigning Mexican, does the culturally appropriate voice cast for Coco make you more excited for the movie, yay or nay? It's, uh, as Joey Badass would say, it's for my people. I have to. It doesn't matter if it's good or not. I have to. I'm not. <laughs> um, I actually, I'm all for it. For me, it's if they're getting talented people, sure. If they're picking Francisco off from Home Depot to voice a character, then nah, that's lame. But it, I would rather have, if they're Hispanic characters, have them have a Hispanic accent. I mean, the Book of Life kind of did that. Yeah. For the most part. Uh with the characters that they had and the style that they had and the culture that they had in that movie. And I thought that was a pretty good movie. I hope Coco and Cars 3 start steering Pixar in the right direction again of making original projects. I think Inside Out started moving them this way again because I know a lot of people have been disappoint- disappointed in the fact that they don't hit as hard. I know there are still the Pixar fans who are like, it doesn't matter what, what they have, they're going to do it. Um, but I feel Disney, Disney Animation, has surpassed them a bit with the stuff that they have been coming out, financially and critically. And Pixar's kind of been coasting there a bit. They're never terrible, unless you're Cars 2. But I think Cars 3, with this freaking <laughs> dark and grimy stuff that they're going for may be able to move it in the right direction. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm very confused by this Cars 3 marketing. It does not make it seem like a here. kid's movie or it's a crazy. car or a comedy. Yeah. It's darker than Furious 7's ending. What's going on here? Uh, but with Coco, I hope it's a good movie. I didn't see the first trailer that came out because someone straight up said that it spoiled everything. So I'm like, well, that's why I don't watch trailers. Uh, but if it's good... It's good. You know I'm in there hunting for those Easter eggs. So. Definitely. Uh, I love I'm, I'm a little concerned about potential similarities to The Book of Life, like you were mentioning. They are yeah. oddly similar for uh, big animated movies. But, you know, uh, this is a Lee Unkrich project. Oh. Uh, the guy who did Toy Story 3, among other Pixar movies. So, you know, this is a big Pixar director. And uh, his co-director is Adrian Molina. So good you guy. do have uh, that in the actual Latino influence there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, like we were talking about with Black Panther, it'll be, it's a nice way to potentially inject life into these uh, tired and true formulas by giving new voices a chance to come through. Uh, I, Pixar has been looking for some new life, and yeah. like you mentioned, and if they can start putting out different types of stories, maybe that will be where they find uh, that, that energy again that That's makes them better for, than yeah. Disney Pixar. That's- that's what I think it's going to be because, I mean, Disney's already there. They're, they're pushing their princesses hard again. And yeah. that, the girl, the, the little girl demographic, they love that. Frozen. Mm-hmm. Huge. Uh, but with Pixar, you know, they've given equality to bugs. They've given equality to toys. They've given equality to cars, robots. Now they're giving them. Now they're giving us Mexicans a chance. Finally, yeah, so we, we figured did. sometime after we got to bugs. Yeah, yeah. After <laughs> bugs, we're like, ah, no, nah, not yet. <laughs> we still, I want three Cars movies. Before before we get those Mexicans on screen, but yeah, I mean, there's not that many. I you know I'm I'm always for I don't care what it is, a, a, a toy, a bug, a robot. Yeah. If I can if I can connect to the characters, that's what I care about more than them looking like me. Yeah. But to some people, they like that, and you know what? This is gonna be a Pixar movie. That's all about. I mean, it's Mexican, right? Uh, Mexican inspired. Okay, so you know, so so for people who 
want to see that and not like those Mexican, I don't know, you probably don't know this, but for our Mexican viewers, that huevo cartoon, the, like the biggest Mexican cartoon that has gone is a talking egg. And the entire cartoon is a pun on like, because, and you know, you know, huevos, right? In Spanish is like, you know what I'm talking about. That's what the entire cartoon. Is this for kids? Is, is this cute? Yes, it's a family thing. Mexicans, I don't know. That is our biggest cartoon, and that actually made some numbers here on the states. That has been our biggest cartoon. Uh, so it'll Coco, be a nice opportunity, I guess. Get in there, all right. We need you. <laughs> you go, Coco. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you the kind of weirdo that's always wanted to watch Step Brothers, but without all those pesky vulgarities? Well, hey. Sony Pictures has the answer for you. As first reported by Yahoo Movies, Sony announced their new Clean Movies initiative. This is Sony making available the broadcast TV and airline versions of 24 different titles, including Big Daddy, Captain Phillips, Step Brothers, and Talladega Nights. Uh, in response to this news, Seth Rogen took to Twitter to say, holy shit, please don't do this to our movies. Thanks. Art. Are you yay or nay on clean versions being available with purchases through digital platforms like iTunes of Sony movies? So it's a five-minute version of Step Brothers. <laughs> or it's a version with, with, where lots of um, mother-fathers are shouted at each, other's, at each mother other. Mother-father. So the TNT version. Yes, the TNT <laughs> version. Mother flipping snakes on this. Mother flipping, yeah, whatever he says uh, on the FX version. No, this is disgust. No, no. Nay, nay. I, I mean, look, I, there's so much I can say, but I'm just not because you should know. That so no. yeah, okay. So here's, I'm going to try and go yay on this. I don't want to, but but for the podcast, I will go yay on this because. These versions exist. They put them on airplanes and on cable TV. Why not make them available to youth pastors or kindergarten teachers? I guess. Because they need them. You're telling me that if my church is having a youth party to talk about blended families, we can now screen stepbrothers? Yes. Yes. Sold! <laughs> the dumbest thing i don't care i'm not watching wolf of wall street the clean version at my church if i'm watching wolf of wall street i'm watching wolf of wall street if i'm watching Step Brothers, you are not cutting the scene where he puts the ball sack on the drum kit that's not happening <laughs> that i you, my you only these movies clean. look my only real concern with this is i don't want to accidentally purchase the wrong movie if i feel yeah, like renting Step brothers like I, this isn't gonna th let's be real this is never gonna affect me unless i accidentally cl click the wrong button because i'm not going for them yeah, and no real movie fun. fan is gonna go for them either what confuses um, me is who's buying these yeah i'm a little curious about what the market even is like you, it i understand the the desire to have like a family friendly movie but sure, sure. why but, do you want to watch Step Brothers then Thank you. If you want to watch Step Brothers, then censorship shouldn't be a concern. <laughs> you know what? I, that makes no sense. Yeah, I want to listen to Kendrick Lamar, but I'm clean. But you don't want to listen to Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, we move on to our final movie news story of yay or nay. After the horror film The Babadook was briefly miscategorized on Netflix under the gay and lesbian category, <laughs> The Babadook featured prominently at Pride celebrations over the weekend, adorned in rainbow flags, screaming, yes, Babadook, and popping up in some RuPaul drag race memes. But really, this whole thing makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. USC professor Karen Thompson explains he lives in a basement. He is weird and flamboyant. He's living adjacently to a single mother in this kind of queer kinship structure. So, concerning the Babadook's newfound out and proud status, are you yes or yes? Good. Um, I just, I thought that, I thought that's what the Babadook was about. I mean, it seems I obvious. That's, I mean, I saw it at a Pride Festival, so I just figured that was part of the lineup. Everybody um, knows about it, but they don't want to address it in the family. LGBTQ B. <laughs> I thought that's what the B was for in the LGBTQ. <laughs> there, I, I saw that sign. Babadook. <laughs> Lesbian. Oh, did someone already make that? Babadook transsexual. They're going to the, replace all the seriously, with, with. If you were a fan of. The Babadook. You have to search Twitter for these pictures and memes. They are amazing. Uh, they've been uh, signs all over the place uh, during Pride. It's been hysterical to see them pop up on Facebook and stuff. Uh, this I mean, it, this actually uncovered something that I wasn't as knowledgeable about, but I was reading this thing from uh, Karen Tonkson, and it mentions that there's like a long history of uh, gay culture appropriating these villains from horror movies like Frankenstein and such. So. It, I don't know. It's 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 a cool, fun spin on 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 a movie that I actually love a lot. If yeah. it gives me a reason to talk about the Babadook with more people, I'm totally totally for this. Have you seen Raw? You saw. Raw. I have seen Raw. Yeah, we talked about it a bit. Yeah. Um, in Raw, when I got out of the screening, I mentioned this in a video that I did for it. Uh, as you know, in her interviews itself, she says it's a coming of age story mm -hmm. about you know your parents and and yada yada, and she chose cannibalism. Some people saw it as this feminist revenge tale because they eat men. Mm -hmm. People will always find something in movies. And what's funny is that even though this was a joke, and it's funny, and i glad you told I had no idea about this, but I'm going to go search up those memes. There is bound to have been someone who said, well, that's what it was all about. <laughs> there are always people who will go into a movie yeah. and say, that's what it was about. Someone went into It, into it Comes at Night and said, well, that was what it was about. <laughs> the raves are at night. There's always people who come in with their own agendas and believe that that's what it is. So, I'll Art reflects them. us. We see, yeah. we see yes. ourselves in art. We are the Babadook. Yes. Uh, that's funny. All right, so let's get into our topic of the week. And this week it is Rotten Tomatoes. Because right. two new releases this past weekend highlighted what seems to be an increasing divide between critics and audiences on the popular review aggregating site. The new Tom Cruise movie, The Mummy Reboot, was trashed by critics, receiving only 16% positive scores on the site, while audiences on Rotten Tomatoes gave the movie a more positive, though not extremely positive, 45%. Meanwhile, the new A24 movie that we just discussed, It Comes at Night, was certified fresh with an 86% positive score from critics, but it was dumped by audiences, probably for many of the reasons we mentioned earlier, who gave it a 43, an even lower rating than The Mummy. The Mummy! Uh, art. This follows a f 
trend of sorts with disgruntled DC fans that yeah. leapt to conspiracy theories regarding the website's bad scores of some of its superhero movies, as well as sure. critically lauded films like Moonlight or La La Land that had nearly universal praise from critics, but both of which only have 80% positive on Rotten Tomatoes. So. Rotten Tomatoes claims to be a, quote, trusted measurement for movie and TV programming quality. I took that off the website. Do you trust <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes art? Why or why not? I don't, I don't care for Rotten Tomatoes. You want to know whose opinion I care about the most? Mine. Yeah. Go watch the movie for yeah. yourself. If you don't like it, then you don't like it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter if someone else does. If someone else hates a movie and you like it, screw them. It's your opinion. This, I believe this is a discussion we always have. Um, and this goes to music. This goes to books. This goes to everything that we feel like we need to be in the consensus of a certain group. Yeah. And I think it's split in where in the film community, we care more about the critic scores for the most part. I, I would say mostly because <laughs> some of us, like your boy Zach over here, deal with it. Like, they, they are actually the ones who contribute to it. Sometimes. And... Um, you know, sometimes you have <laughs> the influence of your peers. Yeah. And if they're not your peers, then you care more about what the consensus is to general audiences. And if general audiences don't like it and you do, are they going to call me pretentious? <laughs> and if the critics like it and you don't, are they going to call you a dumb movie fan and tell you to just go watch Marvel, Marvel movies? And it becomes this whole thing of clicks. And it really is a click because why, why Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. Why yeah. not Metacritic? It, it's Why an not interesting, all these other ones? It's an interesting thing. Like you mentioned, it's this very partisan kind of mm -hmm. way that we approach it. It's, it's very much like the way we approach politics now yeah. in that you're either on the side of the critics or you're on the side of the audiences and somehow critics, critics can't be fans and audiences can't be critical when really yeah. we should all be all those things. I, I mean... It, it, what the th problem is to me in a lot of ways is that people are, are doing a bad job of, of identifying what these numbers actually mean. This is something that you and I talk about a lot. We've talked about this before because you actually informed me. I went to class and I was like, <laughs> brought you an apple and everything. I was like, I did not know that. But. Right, because so you look at Rotten Tomatoes. What is it? It's a collection of all these critics who exist. Now, there's big critics like the ones who work at Variety or Hollywood Reporter or Web... Or newspapers that you've actually heard of and then there's Scott's <laughs> movie blog that just happens to have enough Good followers guy. that it yeah. got into Rotten Tomatoes while their uh, threshold was kind of low. I yeah. mean you look at uh, the ratings for I just have La La Land open there are 344 reviews that they've tabulated to get that 93% score. Now it, what they're doing is not calculating that if you average all these different reviewer scores, they would all give it a 93. They're just saying 93% of the people who wrote a review came out in the positive for it. I remember you telling me that, because I thought it was, the, I thought I'm like 83% is the average. And then you told me, it's like, no, literally nine out of 10 critics can give it a six out of 10 <laughs> and it will get a 90%. Yeah, what it actually does is establish what the movie, whether or not a movie is liked a lot, not, there, not how much it is loved. Yes. And, and that's a sort of weird barometer to go by. You know, it you could have, you would have a movie like Chef, for example, I'm just throwing a movie out, that got a lot of great ratings uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, but it didn't, it wasn't necessarily loved by a lot of people. I'd say that's like 
most people's definition of like a three out of five. Yet it has an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes yeah. because a lot of three out of five reviews are still positive. Yeah. That, no, that's a really good way to put it. And you're, it's so, why do it that way? I don't know. But the biggest thing isn't why it does because they can do whatever they want. It's why has Rotten Tomatoes gone so big? Because we focus on it. Because we yes. made it big. If it wasn't that and the critics' ratings were pushed over to IMDb, then we would be complaining about IMDb. If we actually cared about Metacritic, then we would be complaining about Metacritic. If there was a new thing that, that was doing it, we would be complaining about that. We just focus. We overly focus around tomatoes. That's mm-hmm. it. We're the ones who made it big. The ones complaining about it and the ones praising it. The ones going to it as a source of this is what's going to decide if I, if I like the movie or not. And that's because it is a useful resource. It is useful to see, like, yeah. this is what a lot of people are thinking. It's just that it doesn't necessarily tell you what what the actual quality of the movie is, which For is a shame. specifically, too, yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing that I also wanted to address, too, is there's this, this idea that critics and audiences are different. But what people sort of fail to realize is critics are people who see movies professionally, semi-professionally, see lots and lots and lots of movies. Yeah. And a lot of time, the general audience is only seeing, what, one movie a month, if that much, you know, maybe six movies a year. And if you're seeing two, three movies a week versus two, three, four movies a year, your expectations oh, are going to be in completely yeah. different places. So, you know, there's this, there's this idea that critics and audiences can't sort of Uh, agree on what defines a good movie and I think really it's just the uh, we we are not in a good place to to sort of communicate between people who have different priorities when it comes to movie watching I've heard people tell me all ask me all the time like well should I go see that and I I don't I never know what to say because I would I would rather recommend you watch something that's on Netflix, but I don't know what your movie ha- watching habits are. You know? Yeah, I don't know what you like. <laughs> it's like, how am I supposed to know if you should go watch this or not? I, I don't know how much time you got to change. I don't even know if you got the money to go to a movie theater. Why yeah. are you asking me these questions? It's like you have to find out by yourself, and I think that's what makes us, the movie fans, not that we're better than an average movie goer, but like you said, we watch movies differently. Well, one of the biggest complaints that we that I always hear is, why can't you just watch a movie and turn your brain off? Why can't you turn your brain on? Like, right. it's just a different way to watch it. And I, I know a critic who he decided to give uh, the movie Pixels a positive review. Fine. It's the best movie well, of 2015, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. But his sort of argument was it was fun enough and it, worth, it was worth your time. To which I sort of had to talk to him about, like, well, maybe <laughs> your, definition, your definition of what's your, worth your Call time is up. different from my definition of what's worth my time. You know, and, and it's... It's hard to like, you know, I think a lot of times we both as critics and as audiences don't do a good job of, uh, of necessarily establishing yes. what we mean by you have to see this or this is good enough. Or I, I know I personally am just trying to talk about the merits of a thing and the ways it made me feel. Because I know if it made me feel a certain way, if people are looking for those feelings, maybe feelings. that will try and that yeah. maybe that will entice them mm-hmm. that's but, yeah that, i think that's the, the best way to put it uh like to me i always usually when, when a stranger asks me for recommendation not like a stranger i don't just walk up the street but like when somebody asks me for recommendation i don't really know their preferences i'm just like 
uh, well, you know, it's it's this and that. If you're looking for something that deals with this, watch that movie. You know, I don't necessarily necessarily tell them the synopsis. I, I do what you do. Yeah. I give them the emotions. I'll be like, hey, this character, think of it like hanging out with this person who we know. That's what the movie's going to be like. It, it's that type of humor. It's this type of drama. Remember when we saw this together? It's kind of like that. That when so, I do know people and they ask me, I tell them, I'm like, I know what you're going to like because I, I know you like this movie. It's going to be like this. Or you don't like this, you know? So so why do you think we then turn so often to Rotten Tomatoes? I mean, it, we are people who don't like it and we use it. Mm-hmm. Studios don't like it and they advertise their Rotten Tomato yeah, scores. Do. That's what's pushed it so much. Is is I still remember the first time that I saw it pop up was for the movie way back when Your Next came out. And that was the first time that literally the trailer not, and the poster had it and it said certified fresh like they had the little emblem and that was part of their advertisement to me i'm like it's officially a big thing now like Mm -hmm. if movies start using it then it is official and we see it all the time now Mm -hmm. like i i thought i was i thought that was embarrassing i'm like really (laughs) get out used it a lot because they were at 100 percent for a while i think and that means that they're aware of what the audience looks to and that's why they're gonna push it you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the thing is, you know, I don't understand the audience complaints about it because right next to that tomato meter, they put the audience score too. It's right there, yeah. But so the people focus on what they want to focus on. And if people want to get mad, they're going to get mad. Yeah, there's some conspiracy theory against WB movies, even though WB partly owns Rotten Tomatoes. I love that, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's that idea, it's still, regardless of uh, what the score is, if it's positive or negative, people will cite it when it's useful for them, and people will ignore it when it's not. When you like a movie and it won an Oscar, then you can put it up. But when someone's arguing for a movie they like and they bring up the well, it's an Oscar, so what? Oscars <laughs> don't matter. It, it just becomes this very yeah. easy device. You know, you put a number on it and you quantify the movie rather than yeah. uh, the descriptors or stuff. It, it's and so I know yeah. quick. I think you and I both are in the same route. We don't really give it a three out of ten or whatever. We try not to, at least. Yeah, we try not to, but letterbox stuff like that. Yeah. But I like love what you said earlier and where it, I like looking at the technicals as well. But movies are meant to make you feel something. They're meant right. to make you laugh. They're meant to make you cry. They're meant to make you think. And it, I like describing a movie. I don't care if you liked it or if you didn't. I care why you liked it or why you didn't. And I've always said that I believe every movie should be watched. My personal opinion is just where. Is it yeah. worth the theater? Is it worth at home? Is it worth not using it, <laughs> getting the movie and just watching it in the background just to, as you fall asleep? But I, people work on movies, and I believe every movie needs to be watched. It just depends where you watch it Yeah. And how you watch it. So I'm curious, Art, we both have these frustrations with Rotten Tomatoes, but what would you like to see as a solution? Do you think there is a solution? Uh, is it on the website? Is it on us to visit the website I, differently? My biggest thing, and I know it's not going to happen, but this is the only thing. You're right. Visit the website differently because I visit it all the time. It does kind of bother me. Sometimes I see something, and I, what I say with trailers, you see such a negative score, and then you go watch the movie, and you're like, Oh, I kind of like that. But now I'm looking at it from that. Oh, I kind of like that. I'm watching the movie going, but why was it bad? I Go into the movie blank without these preconceived notions because I remember going into movies that have really high ratings and I'm just going, well, I'm not impressed yet. It hasn't hit that 98 level. It hasn't hit that 95 level. So, yeah, the way that we view these numbers shouldn't... We have to view them a bit differently. But to me, I think the biggest thing that the website itself can do is stop going off of this algorithm of likes. I think if they switch the Metacritic route, 
then it would be a bit more honest. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The Metacritic philosophy where they incorporate the actual ratings into their yeah. aggregation seems to be a lot better. Uh, it, it seems to give a lot truer idea of the actual quality. Of, Just switch uh, it. No one's going to know. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I think there needs to be a little bit of transparency in terms of uh, maybe the range of opinions. I'd love to see if there was a way that they could almost gauge something other than percentage that like it. I, I, like, mm -hmm. maybe if it's a percentage of that like it with a indication of how wide the reactions are. <laughs> how much we trust them. <laughs> yeah, and also, like, just, just gotta get, uh, I feel like you gotta get rid of some critics or, or at least have some of kind of, <laughs> you gotta have some kind of classifications for these critics. Because it's, I think it's a little bit strange that, you know, critics that are on homemade blogs and critics that actually work for gaming websites and don't really do movie reviews yeah. are on the same place as, you know, the New York Mag or, or New Yorker reviewers that are doing like super pretentious intellectual reviews and like New York Times reviewers like A.O. Scott and Wesley Morris that are probably some of the most intellectual reviewers in, in criticism right now. And they're it, all in one. Yeah, they're, they're, there's no, and there's no indication whether, who's the difference from one another. I mean, they have that like top critics button thing, but little secret, that doesn't really mean much. I've been a top critic once. What? <laughs> it's not really gonna I be a big that's indication. Your, that's if you, trust me, I was a top critic. Yeah. That's how you, I know it's going. You don't want to trust them. I was one of them. It's just a little, uh, little green button because I wrote for the right magazine. It was cool, but it doesn't necessarily mean that my opinion should be more valuable than, than others. I, I'd so. love... Multiplex, a top critic Rotten Tomatoes reviewer. Thank you, thank you. Certified fresh. I have business cards that say yeah. that. Um, I, I would love to see Rotten Tomatoes give you some sort of indication that, like, maybe uh, highbrow critics, pretentious critics thought this, and yeah. the gaming critics, blogger critics thought this, and YouTubers thought this. Like, it, yeah, I see what you're it saying. would help um, us self-select a little bit more, too, because I, mean, I know I trust certain communities more than others. And that's what it is. Don't go to Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> if you don't go trust to, it. Go to the people who you trust. Yes. I think it's just as simple as that. If you if you like the New Yorker, then why are you going to Rotten Tomatoes? Just go to them. Mm -hmm. If you like a certain YouTube reviewer, doesn't matter that what their qualifications are. The only qualification they need is that they have a ratio of a gr of you agreeing with what they like. Then go to them. And that's why I never uh, get when people are mad at a critic for not liking a movie or something. I, it, it, we don't have to agree. And if you agree. don't agree with me a lot, maybe I'm not your critic. Exactly. There's a writer for the New Yorker. This isn't the best in New Yorker, but every time this guy writes something, I know I agree. The I'm like, thank you. That is more beneficial than someone who I agree with. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not just what they. It's not just the simple. Oh, this movie was garbage. Oh, this movie was good. I read. I, I read the New Yorker, and I see how they describe a movie, and they're bashing it, and I'm just going, this is fantastic. <laughs> or they're hyping it up, and I'm like, nah, this ain't doing it for me. And you just have to go to the people who you trust. Yeah. Yeah. There's no bad reviewers. There's just review. Oh, okay. There's some people who are garbage. There's some people who, if they don't know how to explain themselves, then I do believe they're a bad reviewer. Yeah. But just because they don't agree with you doesn't mean that they're bad. Go find the person you agree with, and that's the person you go to. Absolutely. We move on to our final segment of the day. It's the new to see where we look at the movies new in theaters and give you our recommendations for the weekend, starting off 
with the box office, where Wonder Woman spent a second week atop, only dropping 45-ish percent from its first week score. That's huge. It passed 200 million at the domestic box office already. It's making a lot of money. Good for that movie. I mean, uh, there's been cries for a female-led superhero for a while, and it's proving that it has merit at the box office. That's good. That's yep. insane. I remember reading about that, uh, like how low it was, and that—that's—that's because that's in music, that's something that they look at. I, people bashed uh, Batman v Superman for that. That was it, sixties, seventies. Yeah, I think it the was the first to second week drop off is traditionally a very big indicator of word of mouth. Because then people That's are exact- talking about it and are trying mm-hmm. to go see it with their friends. I think you're talk- the, the Batman Superman drop you're talking about was somewhere between 70 and 80% and in its first week, yeah, that's which big. is that, bad. And that shows Somebody correct us in the comments below, though. Yeah. I feel like I got that number wrong. But like you said, it has to do with fans and word of mouth. Are they watching it again? Is that word of mouth allowing people to come back? And I forgot. I think this was from music. Um, but they were talking about the album sales from the first week to the second week and that second week that no one's paying attention to because it's all about the first but that second week that's where the profit's at that second Mm -hmm. week is what's going to determine sequel it's that second week that's going to tell you people like this so uh, I'll get to this in a little bit but uh, in sixth place at this weekend's box office was It Comes at Night that movie made six million dollars its reported budget is five million that goes exactly like to what you're saying that first week recouped the budget but if it has strong word of mouth and it can retain a high number then Mm -hmm. that's all profit pretty much we'll get the sequel (laughs) it came at night again it comes at dawn (laughs) it's just every day it comes at twilight (laughs) oh please i don't want that crossover (laughs) uh in second place the mummy made 32 million which is only a fraction of the reported $125 million budget. However, the movie also had Tom Cruise's single largest grossing day in China ever. So depending on how you look at it, uh, it was actually a pretty successful release in the foreign box office. So uh, I'm not so sure on this one. I mean, it seems like they're gonna go ahead with this rumored uh, monster cinematic universe. universe yeah. uh, that, yeah, that's gotta be a topic for a future day, but yeah. yeah. Cinematic universes. It's yeah. interesting. Uh, Captain Underpants, Pirates 5, Guardians <laughs> 2 rounded out the top five. Uh, did you see Captain Underpants yet? Yo, yep, finally saw it the other day. Uh, went to the drive-in, like I said in the last podcast. Um, it wasn't, it was actually, it was what I expected it to be. I, I remember we were talking about how a series of unfortunate events, not that I disliked it, but I was a huge fan of it as a child. Uh, okay, last week I was reading them. But when I saw the Netflix series, like I couldn't complain because it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Or it was exactly what the adaptation was supposed to be. But it just it worked better as a book for me. Yeah, you liked Captain it as a book. Yeah, I'm like, I don't know. Like, like I say, Harley Quinn is a cartoon character. I right. can't see her as a live animation thing. Ah, Captain Underpants was, was pretty good. I've just grown up, <laughs> but it still had me laughing at some points. And there were some funny things, but it's decent. It was, it was nice. pretty good. Uh, and as I mentioned, sixth place was It Comes at Night, the mm-hmm. A24 horror release. It's six million was not as good as The Witch's $8 million opening, but that is still a solid horror well, debut. That's because they weren't sponsored by the Satanic Church. You know, you got to get on that. <laughs> Right, that's a, a big co-sponsorship deal. You that's need that two, co-sign. That's two mil right there. <coughs> Satanists unite, I guess. I don't know. They, hey, they pay. 
the new in theaters this weekend, as we mentioned a bit earlier, Cars 3, Lightning McQueen, sits to prove he's still the best race car. Mm-hmm. Uh, aren't you seeing Cars 3? Oh, yeah, I'm going to do those Easter eggs, man. That's my bread right. and butter. Yeah, yeah. Look out for that video. Uh, rough Night from Lucia Aniello, the Broad City and time-traveling Bong writer-director, is making her directorial debut, feature directorial debut, with this Scarlett Johansson, Zoe Kravitz, Kate McKinnon, Jillian Bell, and Alana Glazer movie. Yeah. Looks interesting. I'm down uh, for it. I think the first season or two of Broad City, because I think they're in the third season, right? So I'd say the first season. Yeah, the fourth, fourth season trailer just happened. Okay, yeah. So I liked the first season of Broad City. Uh, I haven't really seen the other ones, but the clips that I see, it's just not my sense of humor. Yeah. That's it. I'm not going to bash it. I just, I think they know their audience now. I'm going to call it the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 effect. Hmm. They have their, their that, that novelty at the beginning, and then they know what people like, and then just put out Double down on it. And continue it. Yeah. And I think that they've gone to the point where they just repeat the same jokes now of, uh... Women can make the same jokes that men do in their stepbrothers' unedited versions. <laughs> and you know what? People like that. That's cool. I'm hoping that this movie... I, I'm all for someone... Yeah. I, I like this. Hey, Peel it, moved on to movies. Mm-hmm. This is another writer who, who's moving on. I'm all for it. I thought that the preview was pretty funny, so we'll see. Yeah, same. I thought the preview was pretty funny. I feel like comedies like this can be pretty hit or miss, but uh, they're fun Sunday watches, if not in theaters yeah. on cable. Mo- uh, main thing I'm, the main thing I'm excited to see is uh, whether or not Scarlett Johansson is good in this genre. Like uh, yeah. I, I know she's been like good in some Woody Allen she's, stuff. She's and dabbled. Yes, yeah, done some SNL stuff, but it, yeah. you know, not necessarily in this broad of a form. Uh, I'm curious about that because I like this cast around her, too. She's I got think. help. Uh, Kate McKinnon, Jillian yeah. Bell, Lana Glazer, all very funny and probably have a career as comedic sidekicks mm-hmm. in movies for many years. Uh, elsewhere in theaters, All Eyes on Me from Next Day Air director Benny Boo hey. with Demetrius Ship Jr. as Tupac hey. Shakur. Nah, that's Tupac. Tupac came back for this movie. <laughs> they, they, they filmed it in Cuba. He came back from Cuba uh, out of hiding. Be, yeah, I think this would be cringy. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I think, in the same mold as the Notorious B.I.G. movie that was out a few years ago. That was not so stellar. It's not. Like, let's be honest, it wasn't. Um, Is it connected to Straight Outta Compton? Uh, Because I heard they were going to try to do that. Only that I think it shares some producers. Okay, because I know they were going to try to. It might. I think Suge Knight from Straight Outta Compton is in this one. Oh, well, yeah, there's some overlap in the worlds. So, again, cinematic universe. <laughs> there's uh, half of them are still alive. What are we doing in a cinematic universe? I don't know, man. Hey, it, are, it, you, it, hey are you ready for that cinematic universe of World War II? <laughs> we just combine everything? <laughs> Valkyrie, the Hitler cinematic universe? Fathers? Are you excited? The Hitler cinematic universe. Oh. To all your favorite that's Nazis in their wrong. own movies. Straight out of concentration. I'm not, no, nah, that's bad. Um, <laughs> I have been seeing this uh, on the radio so many times. It comes up. Sometimes you got to enter their world in order to lead them out. Tupac, you entered the world, didn't leave. Stop. <laughs> I hope it does well. I hope it does well. He sounds a lot like Tupac. 
Yeah. Um, he looks I, a lot like Tupac. I, I mean, I thought they got the casting of the Notorious movie down, too. It's just that the movie itself wasn't so good. Uh, and they, they always seem to get the casting okay with these. I think they tend to... I always hear, like, oh, we're waiting to get the right person. They're trying to find the right person. Oh, it's not the right match. And then they find them, and the script is shit. So the movie is shit. I don't know what you're talking about. The writing's fantastic. Not as good as the casting, but maybe All Eyes on Me will, uh, will surprise us, and it'll be a bit better. Uh, the other releases this weekend, 47 Meters Down, Mandy Moore Trapped Underwater by Yo. Sharks, hoping to be this year's The Shallows. Yeah, let's go. Always good time for a good shark movie at the beginning of summer. I, I, time for a Mandy Moore movie. I mean, I think there should be a shark movie every single year. Uh, I don't care if they're not all good, as long as some of them are good. Yeah. An indie release this weekend, The Book of Henry. This is from Jurassic World director Colin Trevorrow. Stars uh, Jacob Tremblay, Lee Pace, Naomi Watts. I've heard not amazing things about this one. Uh, Have you seen anything? Well, I don't listen to Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I... I like when directors go from something huge and then to something small. I do too. That being said, I've never seen it go well. I yeah. Still, right? It's Can weird. you think? I've never seen it go well. Uh, I still remember after Avengers when he made. Um, the Shakespeare movie. The Shakespeare movie, and I was just like, much ado about nothing. And I was yeah. like, yeah. Okay. What's up, Whedon? What you doing? What's, yeah, what's this? Um, a ghost story wasn't bad. Because I've seen it. Yeah, right, after, right. After he did Pete's Dragon. Well, but he's also a much more artistic director anyway, yeah. Lowry. Yeah, so it it's always personal stories. That's what it is. They're always personal stories. And they many times they do it with friends. Much Ado About Nothing is literally them just chilling in a house. Yeah. A ghost story? Uh, I remember he was saying in the you know, Q&A that they practically worked for free. And they had people who did visual effects from Pete's Dragon, like, help him out. Like, it was such a personal project. Yeah. He's, lit- he's doing a Terrence Malick. He is releasing... Like a personal home video, and some people are gonna like it. Some people are gonna hate a ghost story. I'm hoping this one does a bit better. I hope it does well because I like Jacob Tremblay. Yeah, Tremblay and I like Le- I like Lee Pace and Naomi Watts a lot. So they're both really cool. So yeah, uh, other indie releases are Maudie with Ethan Hawke and Sally Hawkins, as well as I Daniel Blake. The 2016 Palm d'Or winner, finally getting its U.S. release. This one was directed by Ken Loach, who also did The Wind That Shakes the Barley. And it stars Dave Johns as Daniel and Haley Squires as Kate. Art, I saw this one back at the 2016 Philadelphia Film Festival almost a year ago. Oh, you're so cool. But it's really good. It's a really emotional movie. Uh, It's about... Uh, what happens to this guy after he's unable to go back to work because of some health issues okay. and uh, talks a lot about the uh, England healthcare services and the faults in that system and just the sort of lack of working class empathy that's systemic in, in some... Yeah, well, it's it uh, takes place in England. Uh, Is it so, in a different language? No. Okay, so um, unless you have trouble understanding the accents. Uh, but it, it it's in English, and uh, I thought it was a really emotional movie. I, I maybe a little bit over long, but uh, if you wa- are in the mood for just like a a story about uh, people in tough circumstances working hard to overcome it, uh, something that'll touch your heart, I absolutely recommend this one. In fact, yeah, it's, it's my weekend recommendation. Perfect. Um, yeah, this was one of those that was on my list, along with the salesman. Along with the uh, Tony Erdman. Tony Erdman. Out of those three, how would you rank them just off the top of your head? Tony Erdman, 
I, Daniel Blake, the salesman. I've seen Ooh, all three. Why you gotta do that to me? The salesman's the one I'm hyped for the most, but yeah, uh, and all, all of those are long. Yeah. Like, they're long. Like, Tony Erdman Tony Erdman's like three hours. Three hours, right? A comedy. So. A German comedy. Uh, yeah, I wanna check all these it's out. It's really great. They're finally though. coming out, you know? Art, I've already given my weekend recommendation. What is yours? Um, there's a really nice trilogy going on. And if you guys haven't seen the first two, that's okay because this trilogy doesn't. You can just start off the third one, all right? And then it's uh, it's uh, the Cavs versus the Golden State Warriors. Hopefully they are a little more than halfway this, through, but oh, it, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, when you're watching this, the movie ain't done already. Right. And it's spoiled for you. But if it continues, which this I could all does, be over by the time this podcast is posted. It could all be over by the time you're watching this, and this could be completely pointless. But my week probably will all be over by the time. You yeah, probably. I hope it's not. Don't do that to me. Uh, if it's not. Go watch that. Uh, there's plenty of movies, and I have recommendations for next week. But for right now, I'm going yeah. with the sports. I'm going with the sports story. I'm going with the yeah. And also, it comes at night is still in theaters, which we both enjoyed, even though it's not yeah, for watch, everybody. Yeah, watch the interviews for it before you go in there and realize what it is, and not your expectations. Yeah. That is all for this week's show, though. You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter at Zshevich or on Instagram, also at Zshevich. You can check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Multiplex Show, where I just posted a new video explaining uh, why I stopped posting on Multiplex a few months back and why I'm going to be posting on there again. Art, where can find the, where can people find more from you? You can find me on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> you can find me at the ADZ Show on the Facebook, on the Twitter, on the Instagram, on YouTube. Um, I have, like, I always say I have a bunch of ideas coming out, and I do. They're all just drafts. They're coming out. Uh, they're going to be coming out. I do want to get on that Twitter game. You're you're on top of it. Like you tweet your thoughts all the time. I have the thoughts, and I keep them to myself. Yeah. In fear of like I'm gonna say something dumb, but you know, you gotta play that Twitter game. The Twitter game's all about just getting your thoughts out there, whatever. Those it is. insta reactions, 140 so, characters. It's yeah, tough. 140 characters at a time. But I've yeah, been threading tweets though. This makes it easier. Yeah, you can find me on those things. I'm not sure if we had this, but one of the one of the things that we're building up to is we do want to get it on a segment on the show. So definitely leave us any comments. Yeah, please. Leave us any feedback and leave us any questions. We're we're building up to a segment that we want to do for that, be it on this show or on something else. Uh, I don't want to say the name yet because we're still working on a name, but we do want to get you guys involved as much as possible get your guys input on things and your guys suggestions and questions so um let yeah, us this show will be a lot more fun with all of you involved so please be, if yeah. it's a movie news question if it's a question about new tv or new movies it just has to be doesn't have to be specific at all it can be Personal much more general than that throw it in the comments question, below yeah, anything you guys want to tell us, yeah what are our morning beauty routines just let us know in the comments below we'll make videos about it in the future sure. uh that is it for this week's episode you can listen to every episode of the intercup podcast on itunes or soundcloud and make mm -hmm. sure to subscribe to our youtube channel where you can find every new episode here on tuesdays at noon eastern also like our facebook and twitter pages at intercut pod for updates throughout the week Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, Howard Hawks said a good movie is something with three great scenes and no bad ones, but he never said anything about great movies. Hey! hey. And we'll see you guys later. Oof.